Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the second interview, third episode. I know, it's a little confusing. We'll just call it episode number three. So welcome back to episode number three. Um, today, I... Well, not today. So this is actually a really cool thing um, about the way that I'm doing this. Is that a lot of these interviews were actually done several months ago, back March, April time frame. And it's June right now. So... I'm going back through and I'm pulling out clips to put out for teasers and stuff like that. And in doing so, I kind of get to rehash the conversations that I had um, back, you know, when I actually sat down with this person. And I sat down with Carrie Pollock, who is the guest on today's show. And we had an amazing conversation. It was so good. And honestly, it was one of those, it was one of those times where you question how you got to be where you are. And I mean this from my perspective, sitting there being able to talk to Carrie. It was so cool. The series of events that led up to it, it was a friend that knew a friend that knew Carrie, and then we went to a show um, of his, and I watched the perform, and <laughs> uh, I got to be the Sparky So <laughs> in the show that I went to, which basically meant that he picked me out in the crowd as the guy that he picked on throughout the show. And it was a ton of fun. He's got a great sense of humor. So I think that you're really going to enjoy this conversation. He's got a lot of great insights. It stays lively. So here's Carrie Pollock. Owner and operator of a comedy and magic cabaret up here in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and have a conversation with me. Well, thanks for taking the time to uh, listen to whatever nonsense I have to offer. <laughs> that's so. that's essentially what I'm. Uh, half of what I think I'm doing is just just having fun, you know, just taking the time to be able to sit mm-hmm. down with somebody and and enjoy their company, and then um, and the other main. Uh, thing that I, I'm trying to get from all of this is to inspire people who have had the inclination to start their own business or endeavor in some sort of entrepreneurial spirit that are just kind of clinging on to the safety net of being employed versus employing or being self-employed at least. Mm-hmm. Um, or self-unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of those too. <laughs> yeah, there are. There, there truly are. Um, so... I guess I want to start with, we'll go a little bit chronologically. Okay. So you obviously, day one wasn't running this operation, you know, of in employing, how many people do you Day one of my life, my career. Day uh, one, I cut my right. own umbilical cord. Right. That's, that's what you do. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, a... um, so in your professional career, mm-hmm. so what was the first serious endeavor that you ever took? Well, uh, it, it's an interesting uh, career or life, I think. Uh, yeah. A little bit of everything. Um, I had a real job originally uh, uh, right out of high school. I graduated a year early because I couldn't wait to go to work the rest of my life and um, had no idea what I wanted to do. So I didn't go to college. I had a neighbor that was running an injection molding shop, said he needed someone full time. So I did that. And I'll give you the short version. And 
worked my way up in there after two weeks of that, getting up at 7 a.m. every morning and beating myself to death, going up and down ladders with 100 pounds of plastic on my shoulder. That's I, hard work. I woke up one morning, and I can remember it like it was yesterday, and, and uh, Seals and Crofts was playing on my clock radio. Hummingbird was a song. I'll never forget it. Wow. So I was 18, and I said it out loud. I said, I will not do this the rest of my life. And awesome. I went into work, and saw that day a couple engineers came in at 11 a.m. instead of 7 a.m., and they were looking at the machines that my buddy and I were setting up, and yeah. and uh, I said, you know, that's what I think. I want to do that. I want to be an engineer. Yeah. You come in I in a suit and tie. You go golfing after lunch. Yeah. Uh, and coming at 11. Yeah, coming at 11. Well, I'm sure they're in a little bit earlier, but right. probably in the office drinking coffee. And, um, and he laughed at me, and uh, so I went into the – tool and die department and asked if I could help out in there as I got caught up with my work and sure. the, the crotchety old Englishman Les who ran that tool and die room said, why would you bloody want to do that? And I said, because I, because I want to learn how to make these things. I want to, you know, so he did and, and I did. And uh, a year and a half later, I quit and got a job as a foreman in a different injection molding shop because I knew how to make the dies and, yeah. and set them up in the molds. And then uh, from there, I went to a supervisor at another place. And then at 22 years old, I applied for a job as a mold designer and process tooling engineer wow. at the Hoover company, Hoover Appliance. And and got you did hired all of this without ever going to no college. college and it's i think that can't be understated and this has come up multiple times before but you you took a lot of people will look at your story and be like oh you were lucky to have people that were willing to work with you i look at it like you had you have to there ask were, there were, there was there was opportunity there sure but without positive that action. i saw wasn't offered to me exactly. i saw the opportunity and that's in any field so many people including kelly my wife you know she's learning this is her first you know endeavor as a business owner this right. club with me and she's always scared to ask and i said people don't just come and say hey how about, would you like to try this and this and this and you have to ask and they appreciate it and that's Basically, what I did in the interview at Hoover, I was in the interview for about 45 minutes and being an engineer uh, and design molds and machinery. And and uh, my what became my boss, uh, uh, Bob Clark, said, so where did you go to school? And I said, Parma High. <laughs> this is a true story. And he said, no, I mean college. And I said, Parma High. <laughs> Yeah. And he said, you mean you don't have a degree? And I said, no. And he said, well, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I've had your attention for 45 minutes. Yeah. And he, and so he just kind of looked at me and he, and he said, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. And he left, walked out of the office, closed the door. I thought maybe he was locking me in to go right. get security. <laughs> this was at the main plant, 2000 employees. And, uh, he comes back with the head of all engineering and he says, Carrie, this is Phil Zepp. Uh, tell Phil where you, where you went to college <laughs> and i said parma high and they just and so they grilled me for an hour they're sure. bringing me uh parts to washing machines and appliances yeah. and saying how would you how would you manufacture this what kind of tooling would you use to do and evidently i did a did all right they gave me the job uh, the first person they ever hired without a degree wow. and and i was there for a year and a half then i quit to go on my own i bought a drawing board this was before cad i had a six foot drawing board in my dining room and I thought, I, you know, I can do this for myself, freelancing for companies and make a lot more money. Wow. And Hoover became one of my best 
customers because when engineering was too busy, they sure. would call me and, and pay me a lot more money to do it as a did freelancer, same, as a contractor. Yeah. That so that's, uh, that's, I got into the engineering and then I got into boating and parasailing and sure. got a captain's license. So wow. I have a master, uh, captain's license. Incredible. And then magic was always a hobby. And, uh, while well, I was, had customers out of my boat. Yeah. So that overlapped, uh, chartering my boat on Lake Erie overlapped with the engineering oh, okay. for a while. And I had one of my best clients, a uh, big company that, uh, you know, I designed stuff for, took them out one day on the boat and then took them out to dinner. And we're up on, on the river, uh, Cuyahoga River at one of the nicer restaurants. And, and I was just horsing around, showing them some magic tricks. And it was just a hobby. I'd never done a show in my life. Sure. And, and they're laughing. And next thing you know, half the doc is uh, standing around our table and, while I'm doing tricks and they're laughing wow. and we're just horsing around and, yeah. and the owner came over and tapped me on the shoulder and, and said, uh, can I sp- speak to you over by the bar for a moment? Yeah. And I, so I thought I was going to be asked to leave, yeah, yeah. And, which has never happened yeah. to me. Yeah. Right. And I, and I'm apologizing. I'm saying, look, I'm really sorry. You know, these are clients. We're just having, we had a few bears and we're having fun. He said, no, no, I want to hire you. And that's how the whole thing started. And, and really? I worked down there in the flats at Depoos on the River, which was the hottest club going back then. And for seven years, you know, I, a couple nights a week, I would do my show and then people saw me there. And I, next thing I knew, I was working in casinos and comedy clubs and, and whatnot. So I had three business cards in my wallet for a few years, you know, yeah. one for magic, sure. one for uh, captain. And one for engineering. That's so depending on who I was talking to, I'd have to give them the proper card. Yeah. You know? like, well, which, so, one, yeah. Yeah, which field are you in? So when you you made that transition to start working on your own, you had already had, <clears throat> obviously you had the hands-on <clears throat> experience and you had the know-how. Mm-hmm. But what were there any reservations in your mind when it came to, like, you were going to leave the security? Yeah. No. Never, uh, no. because I'm an idiot. I, think. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I've always been a, a confident kid, you yeah. know, and I always thought I could do anything. And and anyone can if you put your, you really can. It's cliche-ish, but you can. If you put your mind to it, I have, I had a friend, uh, he's passed away uh, since then with no legs, uh, legally blind, legally deaf, and he had three jobs. But uh, so you can do anything. He had Three jobs. Uh, he was a, his own photographer. He uh, did beautiful photography. He uh, uh, was a delivery service with no legs. He would drive a hand-controlled van, and, and he'd sit on a skateboard and wheel himself around and do things. Wow. And he was in a magic show, a part of a magic show of my buddy, uh, that having no legs lent itself to, <laughs> to so the trick. if anybody's listening and they're hearing this story and you're, you're thinking that you can't do something, like right. just – Gain a little perspective and realize that you are the only thing standing in the way of your own success. Right. And I think one of the key parts of your story, in, at least in that regard, or in all regards, even with magic. <clears throat> so, I mean, that's not something that just happens. And becoming an engineer without a degree is not something that you just stumble into. You put in hours and hours of work. Sure. So oh, oh, yeah. Would it? So I wouldn't get fired from Uber. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I exactly. kind of BS my way in there. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, I, every night I'd go to the library. I taught myself trig and, and physics and engineering. And I, I'd be up all night. I'd read the chapters, take the test because I, Amazing. I needed to know that. I realized, oh my gosh, how am I going to figure this out? That's, that's why I need to know that. Yeah. And, 
and it works. Actual yeah. practical knowledge yeah. to the field that you're working in, mm-hmm. but your willing willingness to put in the work. So the that type of self ownership and self determination doesn't come from a lack of will to work, or you can't just stumble out of the house and be like you know what I'm just gonna I'm gonna start like you right. started working for somebody. But then you found you right. found a way to, to move it forward. I think that's incredible. And I, I think two things hold people back um, when they say, I can't do that. It's one of two things. This is my theory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's either uh, not laziness, but uh, in, a, in a form of laziness or or more often it's just fear. Fear yeah. that I'll, I'll fail or I, I can't do that or I'll look stupid if I try to do this yes. or say this and – and uh, even if you're not trying to do something that you know you can't do, you're st- everyone does stupid things now and then. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to do stupid things every now and then anyway. You might as well, you know, uh, be doing something useful while you're doing those stupid yeah, things. Gear it towards something that you actually right. want to do. That's the whole premise of all mm-hmm. of these interviews that I'm doing is focusing on that fear. Mm-hmm. And, I, and your complete lack thereof is is admirable. Um, what is? Have you had any any moments? where you encountered that? Cause I know that you said you didn't when you made the transition to work on your own, but when you were so starting this, uh, the sure. Here. All of it. I think, uh, you know, uh, the Hoover company job was a big deal. They told me it would be probationary. They've okay. never done this. They were going to evaluate me in six months. They were going to compare me to two guys that just came out of Akron U and were hired in the same department. He said, as long as you do keep up with them, you keep the job. Well, yeah. I actually surpassed them. I, I got promoted to a senior, uh, uh, tool design engineer within six months. Wow. Uh, but I think it's because I, you know, I knew that I, I was working hard at it. Yeah. I knew what I had to learn. I wanted to do it. And mm-hmm. I've always been mechanically inclined. And I was sure. always in a garage when I was a kid making mini bikes or uh, anything I could think of. Yeah. And, and, but there was fear, you know, in the beginning, would I measure up uh, to what they Absolutely. were looking for? And then, uh, the first thing I designed uh, that cost over a hundred thousand dollars to build, I had to, you have to present it to a committee. So I was nervous in there because I'm all these seniors uh, guys have been there for thirty years, and I have to present my design to them why it's going to work, and and they'll they'll you know they throw everything at you and they critique it yeah. because they not uh, mainly just because they want to make sure it's they're going to invest that money. It of works. Course, of course. So uh, so I was a little nervous there. And uh, so what did you? How did you? I guess what was the action that you took in the face of those fears? So when that was come, when that, when you were getting nervous and you're you're preparing this design, mm-hmm. what? How did you respond? Like if someone was observing from the outside, like oh, when this happened, this is what he did. Right. When I I looked at it uh, for one, I just fate. I I, I t- walked myself through it, and I've done that with magic too. Um, for one, I look at it as. Uh, I wouldn't be there. They wouldn't have hired me if they didn't think I was qualified. So when I would get nervous, I think, well, I'm here. I, I already got the job. Right. I just, all I have to do is not mess it up now. <laughs> and so, and in this, I knew that the process of this meeting, even though it was a little intimidating, wasn't to critique me or grade me. Right. It was for everyone that I, any, I do the same thing. I'll send designs out to buddies or if I have a new idea for a trick, I call a teller who's brilliant in magic and uh, or other friends in the magic and I want to get other uh, points of view you know so that's all they're doing so I, I just reminded myself I wouldn't be here if they didn't have faith in me I should have faith in myself and uh, I can learn anything from them that they have to say and it's just going to make me better at it and same with the magic 
when I first started performing, and it's because again because I never thought I'd be doing it for a living. Right. Uh, I was in my twenties, and next thing I know, I find myself working on stage and in, in, uh, in a really nice club. Uh, like kind of nervous. I'm sitting yeah. at the bar before I go on, and I and I'd get you know the butterflies, and 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 after a few nights of that, I thought you know this is. This is nerve wracking, uh, yeah. you know, and then I, and I walk myself through it again. I said, all right, let's analyze this. I do that with everything. Sometimes I take out a pad and, and paper and I write sure. down pros and cons to okay. make decisions. And you find out that all the pros, the list is normally much longer. And then the cons, you, what can I do about that? And if I can't do anything about it, then I learn to live with it. All right. And, and like so what that. I, with the performing, I thought, okay, they're paying me to entertain these people. I've seen my act. Mm-hmm. Evidently, they have faith in me. Yeah. So I'm being paid to be on stage. The customers are paying to see me. So I'm already one up on the audience. Yeah. Right. I've got control. I, I just can't blow it. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I thought, you know, and if I'm, if I'm going to get that nervous, just don't do it, but I enjoyed doing it. And, and that, that was the day I think that turned around. I thought, well, they're paying to see me. I'm, you know, and I'm being paid for this evidently, you know, and this isn't the end of the world. If this, doesn't work out for me. Yeah. I still have the engineering or this, or I'll do something else. My life doesn't depend on this. So go up and have a good time. You know, that's how I've always looked at it. I think that's a great approach. When you think about the, you take in perspective and that's, it's actually a, like a resilience <clears throat> technique that I've taught in the past. That's called, it's called PIP and you put it in perspective mm-hmm. and you look at, you catastrophize essentially, or you're looking at somebody that's catastrophizing like, Oh, if I blow this act, then my career's over, you know, like I'm mm-hmm. going to, and then my marriage is going to fall out and all of these terrible things are going to result from it. And you, you can play that out. You can play it out the, to the full extent of the most ridiculous, extreme negative. Sure. That you can. And, and many people do. And they do. And, and then they live there and that's where they stop. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you put it back into the, the reality into real perspective that, that, okay, well, if this does go bad, it's fine. It's, it's tonight. It's one night. And tomorrow's still a new day. Nothing's going to stop me from waking up. Right. Nothing, nothing bad in this performance. I think that's incredible. How much, how much time do you spend preparing for? I'm, I'm sure that, you know, you have a lot of, uh, parts of your act that you've done over and over and over again. But if you're getting ready to, to put a new trick in or a new part of your act, what, how is that integration process? Um, not as, good as it should be in my case <laughs> and, and i laugh and, and a lot of my friends will in the industry they'll say i can't believe you're just gonna go uh, do that new bit i've had friends of town with me and i'm working on something new and i'll say you're just gonna do it tonight in the show and i say yeah and i've always kind of and i think that again comes from the um i call it the i just i don't i just don't care yeah. i do care yeah. but i'm not gonna i know it's not the end of the world and and i'm fortunate enough that uh, and the longer you do it, the more confident you are. You know, when you have a new bit, uh, I get an idea, a concept for a bit. I write very f- few of my lines until I do it on stage to get a feel for it. Oh, I ad lib a lot. You've seen the yeah, show, so yes. I ad lib a lot, and I'm I'm fortunate that I, I'm I'm good at that. I think, yeah. and that's a compliment I get most from people. But so I think, well, I've got the gist of what I want to do. 
I'm, I'm not going to open a show with it in case it bombs. Sure. And I'm not going to close the show with it in case it bombs. Yeah. But I can sneak it in the middle. And yeah, if I have them and it doesn't go that well, I'll get them back and f- wrap it up. You know, so you, every show should have some highs and lows anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I just get a gist for it and I put it in there and I, I go with it and I work at all, 90% of any, the show that you'll see that's not ad libbed, that 90% uh, at one time was an ad lib, you know, and, oh, okay. and, and I thought, oh, that worked, you know, and that's okay. when I'm in the moment. If I'm at home and building a prop or thinking about it, I'm not in the, the funny m- mood or in the entertaining yeah. mode. I, I feed off the audience. Sure. And when I, when I step on it, I could be sound. Sometimes I'm a sound asleep backstage and, <laughs> and I, I nod off in the uh, mic, uh, our guy that runs a kitchen, he'll come over and nudge me. Shouldn't you be getting in the shower now? <laughs> and I run in the shower. <laughs> that wakes me up. <laughs> and and I run in the shower twenty minutes before I come on stage. But as soon as I hit the stage, then I'm in the in the mood, and I, I just it just flows so much better for me. So I, I just get the basic: what do I need to say and do to get this going, and and how am I going to wrap it up? And then I uh, and then it evolves. I mean, uh, things I've been doing for years, I still come up with new lines all the time. Someone says or does something in the audience, and it triggers, or I just come up with something new. So it's always evolving. So I just kind of throw it in. And we have, most guys don't. I, I think most guys rehearse things to death, but then mm-hmm. that's good, uh, depending on what, uh, and most acts you have to. If you're a serious magician or a manipulation act right. or an illusionist, everything's got to be just perfect. If you're doing comedy magic, yeah. even if I mess up the trick, I don't, I can get a laugh out of it yeah, and right. move on. So, so yeah, that's one of the advantages of doing comedy magic. Sure. No one takes it too serious anyway, yeah. you know, yeah. so. No, it's interesting because I was gonna, I was gonna ask, how do you work with a bit if it, if it doesn't work with an audience, and then, and you're trying to fit it, and you know that it's something like you know you've got gold, mm-hmm. but it didn't work that first time. But the way that your approach to it seems like that's not you're not coming up, you're not sitting and and devising, uh, you know, bits in your free time. Like you're you're ad libbing right. on stage, and that's that's the creation process, right? For the so patter, anyway. For yeah. um, uh, some of it, I do. I I've ha- I've literally written like my one card trick, Kate Needeth. Uh, uh, I do that off and on, but I uh, wrote that about thirty years ago, and and it's a very clever, and I've sold mm-hmm. thousands and thousands. Of, it's been referred to in magic publications as really? a classic of magic, which is a, an honor. Yeah. And, and I did start selling them. I had magicians saying, you should sell that out. You know, I'd like to buy that trick. And, and Harry Anderson, the first time I met him, right. told me it was his favorite card trick that he That's does it in every show. So, so that I actually had to sit down and write. It was, it's a poem that sounds like you're going to cuss, but it changes last second. Yeah. And it's, it's very funny and it's a good card trick. And that every night for almost a month, I'd work on it. Right. And then, and then I'd think, why, why am I putting this much time into this? Mm-hmm. I'm going to probably do it. It's going to suck. <laughs> and then I'll never do it again. Why am I putting, and I'd yeah. throw the cards on. I'd, I'd do something else. And I'd right. think, no, I know I could see the, the potential. Same with my lie detector, you know, oh. uh, with the metal detector yes. Yes. that become, that's a huge signature bit of mine. And people, other magicians have paid me a lot of money just to have the rights to do that because wow. they liked it so much. And, and that in the beginning, I could not get a laugh out of it. Really? When I introduced it, the, you know, the way to present it as how it's, why it's a metal detector and it becomes a lie detector. In the back of their heads, things have to make sense. Yes. Uh, uh, it has to be true to them, even though you're lying through your teeth. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, 
I just had so much trouble and I stuck with it, you know, mm-hmm. and I, you tried different ways. And sometimes you can say the word, the exact same words and it finally gets left, but it's the rhythm or the tempo oh, sure. or the facial expression uh, or just, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how uh, just, or change one word or switch something around, you know, so I, I stuck with it. And, and I'm glad I did, but is, is timing and tempo something that you consciously think about when you're, when you're adjusting for one night? Like if it didn't work one night, are you observing? I think it's more natural for guys that have really good timing. I think it's uh, inherent to yeah. them. Uh, it's hard. You can't teach someone comedic timing if no. they don't have it. No. I've tried. <laughs> I, I mean, guys that want to do a, uh, they have a funny line and they'll say it and it just doesn't. It, uh, and you say, no, you have to do it like this and then count uh, and in your head go and boom and then get, the, do it on the offbeat and do it, you know, and I, I play drums too. So, okay. uh, so I think I that helps. That certainly helps. Yeah. Like, if somebody yeah. doesn't, can't keep a, a rhythm, can't keep a beat, it's going to be very hard to teach them music. Right. And a lot of times that, that's why I keep a beer in my hand on stage. Not, and, but I have it up there mm-hmm. and there are certain jokes that I do that the beer really punches it, you know, and I do right. the joke about, uh, I only drink to steady my nerves, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, as I pick it up, I say last night, so steady, I could hardly move. And then you take a sip <laughs> of the beer or sometimes I have it in my hand and I'll, put it down loud enough so it's like a a beat and then deliver the punchline you know and it's it's almost like becomes a subliminal message to them here comes a punchline you know that's good so yeah the tempo and timing for comedy uh even silent magic uh, even a lot of magic you do things on the offbeat to catch that they're not expecting you know with magic even if it's a silent magic effect so one of the things that i think a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't consider with your current <clears throat> business is that now you are in a position where you employ other people. So what was, did you, was that the out of the gate for the cabaret that you had a kitchen and you were providing those services like from the day that you opened? Yes. We actually didn't want to do food, uh, uh just a bar, you know, full yeah. bar service. Um, but we have to for the liquor license, uh, oh, for the uh, South Carolina liquor license requires you to have, uh, to be able to seat at least 40 people at a table. At least 40 people have to have a table to eat off of. And you have to show them on, on upon any inspection that you have enough food to feed 40 people. Oh, and wow. at least one of the, one of the items has to be a hot meal. So it's pretty easy to get a liquor license in South Carolina, yeah. though. I mean, that's so, so I thought, ah, we really don't want to sell food, but, yeah. uh, but we're glad we do now. We're, we're shocked at how much food we sell. Sure. And, and it's not real cheap. It's not ridiculously expensive, but I think it's kind of expensive for sandwiches, paninis and stuff. But yeah. it's like I told Kelly, I said, we're not in the business to sell food. We're selling a ticket price to a show and yep. we're selling them drinks. I don't care if we don't sell any food. We're meeting the liquor exactly. law requirements. We sell food. Okay, good. And, and, but I've been, we're pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And some of the bars on, you know, I have friends that own bars. Mm-hmm. They don't, they have no kitchen. <laughs> they have a microwave and they make sure they always have like 40 hot pockets. Or, or, oh or sandwiches or pizzas <laughs> in there. So if they get inspected, they, they, they come in, they count. Oh, okay. There's 40 pizzas. All right. Thank you. Wow. And it, it's I'm funny. The criteria. Yeah. You yeah. set the bar. I'm going to yeah. meet it. But we wanted to do a little better than that. You know, if we and had do. to do it. You yeah, do. For so. the record, it's amazing. Thank the you. Food, the drinks, absolutely. The environment is phenomenal. So when, how many people did you start out with in your kitchen? And, and just in, in support staff and all of that. 
And what was the process well, we to, op- to bring them in? We opened this new place in July, uh, about three years ago. It was in July, at the, and you cannot find help in the summer on Hilton Head. All of our friends yeah. with restaurants, uh, everyone has the same issue. They can't find bartenders, cooks, servers, uh, and uh, because there are 300 restaurants on the island, for one. And so uh, where we have an advantage is we're not open all day. Right. Uh, so we open the doors at 7.15. Our help gets there about quarter to 7.00. And they're walking out of here between 10.30 and 11. So it's just a part-time right. job. And most of them have full-time jobs totally unrelated to service industry. They're local people. Uh, you know, one of our servers works at the BMW thing. Uh, you know, another one works at Marriott in the offices during the day. They all have full-time good day jobs. They just want extra money. Yeah. So most of them have been with us two and three years. Uh, so we don't have that turnover, uh, yeah, thing. Yeah, it seems, cause but, that was a, that was my thought was that, yeah. that, in that industry, the turnover is high. Mm-hmm. Uh, very high. And it's, I think, because it's their full-time job and they get a, maybe a better offer here or they, or they, uh, they just tend, uh, and uh, most servers you talk to them, they've worked in probably 10 or 12 yeah. of the places around here. And like I said, ours, uh, the day we opened, none of our servers had ever served before. Wow. Uh, two of them were, were, uh, the twin sons, 18 years old of, of a guy we bought a couple cars from at, uh, Hilton Head Cadillac mm-hmm. GMC. And, and he said, my kids are in college. They need a job. Uh, they've never served. Gotta bring them in because we needed somebody. And then our good friend, Mike, uh, Kadar, who owns Philly's, uh, uh, sandwich shop uh, down on New Orleans. Great guy. And he owns that, but he closes at five. And he said, you know, I mind making extra money. I'll run your kitchen for you. And it's a one man kitchen anyway. Incredible. So he does that for us. And then, uh, we had a couple of bartenders, our, our first bartender, all the bartenders were taken on the island. And, uh, so the, the guy that delivers for rollers, a young guy, uh, Nico, he was delivering all our liquor a couple of days before we opened and, and we said, I, I asked him, I said, do you work at Roller? He says, yeah. I said, when do you get off? And he said, seven o'clock. And I said, you're looking for a part-time job too? And he says, oh yeah. <laughs> and he's a nice guy. He was like 20, 21. I think he had to be to mix it anyway. So he just turned 21. And, and, and I said, do you know how to bartend? And he said, well, I was, I bar backed before once or twice to help someone out, but I'm really, I'll, I'm honest. I'll be honest. I'm not a bartender. Yeah. And I said, well, you have a, phone right and he said yeah he said you can look up any drink on that phone yep. and it's not like you're out you're in the back no one's going to see you doing it kind of blown my mind yeah about so, you go to a place and you're like can i get this drink and they're like we don't make that money yeah i see all of the liquor yeah you, <laughs> like i can make it if i go back there right yeah now. So that's a great approach just show the bartender your phone and yeah. you know and, and that's what we did so he had a phone we had more common drinks up on the wall and, and he sure. did a great job he, he, we hated to see him go he moved out to colorado though oh, but okay. But, and then since then, we've got, you know, other people that are, we're very fortunate. We have great staff yeah. and, and they're like family uh, with us. We only have, I think, 10 employees total. And with that, two of them are Kelly and I. Uh, so it's not a huge staff and we only have five or six on it any given time, I'd say. But, yeah. But then we pay them more too. We, instead of the minimum two thirteen an hour for yeah. a server we're paying eight to ten depending on how long oh, they've been wow, with us that's just because we know we're giving them a short shift yeah. you know and and uh we appreciate them and they're, they're great we have great staff here so prior to this 
And you had you had a previous location, correct? Yeah, we were in Shelter Cove uh, in a different location for okay. a couple of years, and then we're down for a year, year and a half hour looking for a, a better location. So God, that's a whole nother line of thought. So what was the what was the motivation to shift? Why did you Why did you need to leave? <laughs> well. Uh, I'll, I'll try not to say too much about that. Uh, uh, a landlord from hell, basically. Got it. And, uh, and, and since then that building shut down and, and, okay. uh, it's a long story, but, uh, things wound up in court and, uh, it, it was unbelievable what, what, uh, they had done yeah. to us there. Basically wanting to get us out so they could start their own club is what happened. I got and it. that's exactly what happened. I knew that was happening. Yeah. So whatever they, he, could do to drive us away, uh, finally worked. And I knew that he, what he's going to do. And yeah. since then, the club is out of business. The restaurant's out of business. It's been sitting empty since we opened here. So, uh, which you, puts a smile on my face every time I, 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 every time I drive by it. I won't mention any names, but, yeah. uh, but any, pretty much everyone on the island would know, uh, yeah. because it's, uh, pretty much everyone on the island said trouble at some point with, with, uh, That's said person. But you rose above. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, it's the best thing that happened to us. I really didn't want to because I put a lot of money into that place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we built up uh, like we did here with the raised boots and we converted the whole room, painted it. Did. But uh, so we moved here and and it's a much better location now. We're on sure. the ground floor and we basically have our own parking lot here, which is hard yeah. to find on the island because at, in the evening, all the other places right in this area are closed. So uh, That's that works. And we have, by, hands down, the best landlord on the island but hands down sounds like you were due uh, uh, yeah <laughs> and when we were moving in here as we're uh, just starting to work in here uh, uh, pretty much all the other residents in the center in south island square here they would come over and uh, well, say hello and introduce themselves and they'd yeah. say you're gonna love the landlord you're gonna love spain kelly you're gonna love uh, miller they're just they're the best and and uh, you hear so many landlord commercial landlord nightmares on yes. this island and and we went through uh, through it and we, we went through another one where they were less than honest when where we were, would have been open much sooner in a different location and he pulled something on us right before we we're supposed to as we're signing the lease uh, to start the construction Incredible. he pulled and i said nope i'm, I'm gone i'm not if, if you're gonna do this now what can i expect in the future you know and so is that the simple kind of things that you're looking for in a landlord is just consistency just honesty just, just be open just and be, yeah, hon- yeah that's all i want from anyone honest just be honest and honor the deal, you know, right. and, and you said it. It's not hard to do. Yeah. You said the deal. You own the property. <laughs> right. So you're the one making the contract. And when I read the contract from here, I was suspicious because it was only a page and a half compared to some 20 page contracts I I've seen for. And I'm it. looking at it. And then when I read it, everything that they were going to be responsible for, which is no landlord ever says they're responsible for things that this landlord does. They're, they're, oh, they're yeah. covering everything in this bill. Normally, you're responsible for everything when, once yeah. you take it out. And they spelled it right out. And I'm thinking, this can't be right. <laughs> and I called the broker. I said, are they serious? And he said, no. He said, yes, they're, they're great to deal with. They, and they will stand behind it all. And the rent was incredibly fair. And, and they, the only surprises we had with this landlord were, things that they did for us that they didn't have to do that we didn't expect and that they paid for. They thought, you know, we should really do that. We'll take care of that for you. Wow. Uh, I mean, they're, they're just great. They're, Thinking they're about fabulous. it from the landlord's perspective, once you have a good, you know, quote unquote tenant or business in your building, 
it's it's in your best interest. Right, it to comes do- back to him anyway. <laughs> exactly. The one place that we were going to, going to go into uh, above the fidelity, which is much larger, it's uh, three times larger than this yeah. space. We already had all our stuff in there when when they changed the deal, but they that that had been empty for six years. And I was willing to sign a 10 year contract at a healthy rental price. Wow. And, and then seems like they would be jumping. They pulled, out of their he, shoes. he tried to get us to <laughs> re, uh, you know, replace all his air conditioners for him, uh, which would have been uh, probably 80 grand <sighs> at the last minute. And, and it's been empty since. They could so, have a 10 year so, yeah, contract. I, I, I don't understand it. I, you know, I do the math. I'm thinking what? And uh, there's, you see a lot of places vacant for so long because yeah. someone's holding out for a ridiculous deal and either that or they I, I don't buy the thing people say well they need a write-off well write-offs you know so many people think a right uh, if you write something off it's free yeah it's not free that's not how it all works. right yeah they, they're just going to pay a little less tax they'd still be better off to making money on it exactly. and then pay tax on the money you're still ahead yep. you know so i i never bought that anyway that you need this loss to no. make up for other things, you know, it's, uh, I have so many friends that don't, aren't in business that think, well, yeah, but you write that off, right? You can write that off. All right. So say if words. I, yeah, say I buy a, a bus for here, right? And, and, and I want to buy a bus to bus people in and it's going to cost 50,000 for a bus. They think, well, yeah, but you write that off. Everyone, lay people just think in their head, it's yeah. free. It's free. Yeah. Like the government pays for the bus for you. No, <laughs> that means I have to spend 50,000 for that bus and mm-hmm. then, and then I pay a little less in taxes on that. So the bus, exactly. you know, that so many yeah, people still, think it's somehow it's just free. And I'm still bus. paying taxes right. on it, but now it's a little right. bit less. Yeah. Now that, that yeah. makes it, no it, sense. It's funny that it, 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 you're just paying less taxes on your profit. That's less, but you're still better off to have that money. And, you, and then you have 60% more, yeah. you know? So it's, it's funny. It's like the kids. I, I, I used to, I had a friend that, uh, uh, he would always tell his son, you know, when he's real small, he'd, he'd say, no, we can't afford that. We don't have enough money when he'd want something. He'd say, well, just, uh, can't we go to the machine? <laughs> I mean, and that, that's the same thing <laughs> as same when adults process. don't understand that, you know, that money's mine still, yeah, yeah. you know? No, it's, it's still funny. coming out of the same spot. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So when it comes to your, the magic portion of your show, Talk a little bit about how you've managed to integrate the skills that you had learned prior in life into the show. So rather than having to outsource um, the creation of props mm-hmm. or anything like that, you do everything yourself. Yes, I, I build. Uh, there are a few things that I buy from because I like the uh, potential of what I can do with it. So I'll buy it from someone else, you know, yeah. that has it on the market because I don't want to. I've always uh, being in business myself and I, my other business, I design and build illusions for other magicians, Amazing. Uh, including David Copperfield and Penn and Teller, uh, all of them. And so uh, I, I'm always very careful not to build anything that anyone else offers, even if I want to do it for my own act. Okay. Um, uh, like my snake thing, uh, the, the, that I was telling you about, um, uh, before we started this, um, a friend of mine had that idea and sold it but i knew i was going to rebuild the basket add a lot more to it and right. do all this stuff so i just call him i said i you know i i'll pay a full price for it for the rights 
but don't send me. I just want you to send me just the snake. I'm going to make my own basket. He said, well, no, then I'm not going to charge you. You know, and he was real nice, but, no, I, but I insisted on paying him. So, so, but uh, all my original stuff I build and okay. a lot of it I sell also. And, uh, and that, you know, comes from the engineering and that all started because I was, when I started working comedy clubs on the road, I had a lot of sound effects and music in my act that okay. add a lot to a, a comedy routine, which a lot of comedy guys don't make use of that, you know, but it yeah. helps set, set a mood, punch a punchline. And in the comedy club years, you know, it was basically I'd be on the road and I'd walk in and it was either a bouncer or a, a bartender that you give them their your cassette tape and say, when I say this, push play. Yeah. And when I do this, <laughs> push stop, you know. And the cues were never right. No. Even if they were nice guys and they cared. Yeah. The bartender's busy, so he's going to miss a cue. The doorman or bouncers normally checking out hot waitresses or hot women in the crowd. So they don't care about my, no one cares about my show like I do. Exactly. So my, at the time I had a buddy that was, uh, just when the remote key fobs first came out for cars, Mm -hmm. you know, car alarms, which is probably 35 years ago or more, he started a business installing those. And I was saying, what do you, can, can you wire one of those up to a cassette deck so I can just run my own music? And he said, well, no, you know, and, and he had a degree in electronics. And he's, well, not really, because, you know, and he gave me all these reasons why he why probably not? just didn't want to do it. Sure. You know, yeah. uh, it's too so hard. He's throwing all so, <laughs> these electronic terms at me. And I said, what, he, it's a remote control. If it can yeah. undo my door locks, it can make a relay that simulates pushing the button. Yep. And so I, I said, okay, I'll buy one from you. So I bought one from him. And I, while I'm on the road in the hotels, I bought a dual cassette deck. I wired up all sub-miniature relays because I didn't know anything about, uh, you know, computer electronics at that point or IC. So those were all just coming in yeah. at that time. Everything that I designed a machinery was relays and timing relays. And so I'm, I made the circuit and it worked great. And then people would see it and they'd say, well, man, where'd you get that? And I'd say, well, I built it. Well, sell me one, build me one. And, and I'd say, oh, no, it took me too much time. Yeah. And they'd, so they, they talked me into it. So I started building them. Literally in my hotel rooms all day, but I'm in a hotel room, so I'm selling these cassette decks for 1200 bucks a piece. I'd go buy a $150 cassette deck. I'd split mm-hmm. the circuitry. I'd go to Home Depot. And and where there's a will, there's a way, which comes back to, I think, yeah. the, the main gist of this is yes. I'm thinking, well, I'm on the road. I don't. Most people say, I'm on the road. I don't have a shop. How am I going to make a case for it? I can't do it. Well, you go to Home Depot, and you give them a cut list, and they'll cut it for you for a buck a cut. I'd take it to my room, and I'd had a drill and a screwdriver and i'd glue and i glue it together i'd cover it with ozite covering and it wow. looked like a finished product you know so yeah. i was doing it probably one of those a week on the road and then then just i just on you just in your downtime you're, yeah you're out there and, performing. And, them out. and that's and then, how my building business started from from the remote control and then it went from cassette to uh they came out with recordable cds that you could right. pay 75 bucks at a music store and they do and then so i made a, a remote control cd player then it went to a mini disc so i made it for mini disc then it went to uh then i just uh, the netbooks came out so i designed and taught myself how to write software and i wrote all the software f- to be able to control a netbook that they could plug I in, love, and I, I love thought, that that's the, just like a passive conversation. I just taught myself how to write some software, but but I had the time because you know yeah. I was on stage an hour and a half a night, and then I had yeah. all day, so it was either sit there and wait for the watch show. soaps yeah, yeah. or or learn something, you know, and and so and it's fun, you know. I I find it interesting, so I taught myself 
all that and built that. And then I just started getting calls and that whole business kind of, then I started designing bigger illusions. And uh, next thing I know, I have Penn and Teller call me and Copperfield and Lance Burton. And cause they're telling each other, you, you have to call this guy, Carrie, you know, because yeah. I, I, as far as I know, you know, all, all the big builders and magicians, none of them were knew anything about engineering or, yeah. you know, they would pull like uh, Penn and Teller, the first meeting I had with them 25 years ago or more, uh, I flew out there and I'm meeting with them and they said, okay, we've been getting your name from a lot of people. And right. they said, and we think it might be time to catch up with the times. And he said, well, and Penn said, I'm going to be honest with you. We're string and rubber band guys. We like things to go with rubber bands and strings or we have someone, a stage champ, pull a string when we need to because it's reliable. Yeah. So why should we trust electronics? Sure. And that was our first question yeah, to me. Yeah, that would be, it and seemed I, like a lot of inherent risk. Right. Uh, you push the button and it didn't work. Yeah. And, you know. uh, but the rubber band could break too. Absolutely. And so my answer to him was they asked me if I could meet with them earlier because uh, when I was talking to Teller, he said, well, I'm flying to San Francisco tonight after we meet. Okay. So if you could get here a little earlier, I said, okay. And so when they said, so con they both just said, so convince me why we should trust electronics. And I wasn't prepared for that. Like, I and did the, not have an elevator pitch and, set up for this. Yeah. And the first thing that came to mind, I'm a pilot, I'm a private pilot. Uh, also, I have a pilot license. I always kid and say, I have a pilot license, I have a captain's license. <laughs> if I could just get that driver's license now, you know? <laughs> So that tricky last. <laughs> so the answer I came up with them on the spot was I, I said, well, tell her, didn't you tell me that you're flying to San Francisco tonight? And he said, yes. And I said, do you think the pilot's flying that plane? Uh, the pilot's not flying that plane. The pilot's sitting on that plane. And when he gets in, he punches numbers into the flight director. Yep. And as soon as those wheels leave the ground, he, he puts it on autopilot and he, they, and then he puts, if he's flying west, he puts his newspaper in the windscreen. He can't even see out the windows because the sun's in his eyes. And I do the same thing when I fly. If the yeah. sun's right in your eyes, you're blinded you're anyway. Right. And you fly off instruments or autopilot. And then he gets his coffee and he chats with them and he, and he stays in touch with the uh, air traffic control, you know, when he's supposed to. And I said, and if the weather's bad, if it's a, snowstorm or and they can't see in the middle that plane they don't land the plane the computer does it it's all on a glide slope and and once it touches down the computers stop the plane then the pilots take it over and taxi i said so what you're telling me is you'll trust your life to electronics but you won't magic trust tricks. a magic trick <laughs> to I, I said the magic trick screws up you make a joke about it and you move on. You finish the show. Mm -hmm. you, you, the plane screws up. You're dead. Mm -hmm. And they just looked at each other and said, all right, let's talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> that seems uh, like you know, just from the little bit, you know, I've observed them in, uh, uh, what's, what's the show that they, they had? Fool us. It's great. I was oh just uh, out uh, two weeks ago helping a, a customer client was nervous and he wanted some help. So I, I went out, uh, and taped it with them and helped wow. them uh, behind the scenes. I was doing stuff for yeah. them and I'm going to do it next year. They, uh, they've offered it to me the last few years and I want to do it to promote the club. Sure. But I've, they're smart guys, especially tellers, the brains and they know a lot about me because I've been doing work for them for yeah. years, but and they do everything very fair. It's all on the up and up. And, uh, so I want to make sure I fool them. I've got two different things I know that I'm, I'm 99% sure will fool them uh, be, because I'm going to use what they know about me against them oh, that's as a red herring. Yeah. I'm going to make it look electronic. It's going to have nothing to do with electronics. Yep. 
And because I want that FU trophy for the, the fullest trophy for the yes. bookcase there. Oh, that would be perfect. And uh, so I told him uh, when I was out there a couple of weeks ago, I told the producers, I said, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll do it next year for sure. And uh, my buddy fooled him, which yeah. which was great. That's incredible. And, uh, and it was funny. And I didn't even think about this because, well, Teller had called me because I built a talking bear for him in his backyard. He has oh, a big wow. bronze bear that's mauling a rabbit in his backyard. He's got this... <laughs> really cool backyard That's and, awesome. and he, he I, I put speakers in it and, and he yeah. can hit buttons and it can say different things oh, okay. and he has fun when he has parties over there yeah. well he wanted another transmitter for it he lost a transmitter so I was ta- he called me and i'm talking i say hey tell him, i'm gonna see you next week if you want to grab lunch or something sure. and and he says yeah maybe i so i'm coming out to, if i don't see you at, at the taping uh, of full and he goes carry 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 stop 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 talking he said, I can't know anything if, if, if don't, I don't want to know anything about fool us. We, we have to be blind and stupid to the whole thing, That's which amazing. I never really thought about. And, I and I, have thought about it. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm not going to be honest. I don't even want to, I, I, I can't know anything. <laughs> don't even say and, the and, words. Yeah. So, so, uh, they are fair. And then when I was out there, because his people know me, you know, they had the, 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 the Penn and Teller live stage crew, which is, tons of people and then they have the tv crew too when they mm-hmm. tape for three weeks straight they tape a, a, a bunch of shows every day it's not most of them didn't know me but mo- you know half the crew knew who i was because they see me in their building stuff for penn and teller and are delivering it and and uh, so it's funny because they had to hide me the whole time i had to be hidden <laughs> So Penn and Tell, because they're walking, you know, backstage through the hallways and around the showroom. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I'd have to go to the bathroom and I'm, I'd have to tell one of the people there, you know, in the green room, I'd say, look, I, you know, I, first out. time I said, it, I said, look, I'm, I'm going to use the restroom because we're there like eight hours. Yeah. And I said, I, I'm going to use the restroom. And, and he, he says, uh, oh, okay, hold off. And he's on the radio. Uh, Carrie's going to use the bathroom. I said, I know where it is. It's, it's right, right next to Teller's dressing room. I can, I can room. navigate. Yeah. yeah. And, and they said, no, no, we can't take a chance. I'm seeing it. So everyone, anyone have eyes on Teller? Anyone have eyes on Penn? Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Okay. Go now. Go quick. <laughs> it's so That's funny. Incredible. They, they had to keep me hidden to the level that they take it seriously. Yeah. That they want it to be fair for the magicians. Yeah. The, they're the two. Uh, I have so much respect for both those guys. They, they, what they're doing with Fool Us isn't for them as much as, as it is for the magic community. They're giving Absolutely. back. They're giving all these magicians an opportunity to get national television. They make them all look good, even if they mess up. They do. They make them look good. They praise them. They, mm-hmm. you know, even if they don't fool them, uh, which most people don't, it's not easy to fool no. any other no, magician, really. Yeah. And they, they do and, it. They, for a, a layman when in the mm-hmm. magic world as myself, uh, when you watch it, there are, there are times occasionally when they're they're guessing what they're doing, right? And they they do a good job of honoring the magician using code on exactly, on how it's clever. Exactly. Some of the stuff they come up yeah. with, yeah. And the, some of the words that they'll say, yeah. they're like, "Was there water involved with gravity?" Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. "What in the world? This yeah. is you guys yeah. are amazing." You're and they'll do it amazing. even like differently, <laughs> like like there's a, a trick deck called a stripper deck. Oh, okay. It's called a stripper deck. And uh, they had a, a lady on, and at one point she uh, she's a French woman that did fool them. But at first they said, "No, you didn't fool us," because they gave her enough codes, and she said, "Yeah," but she misunderstood what they said, and That's, vice versa. I, I so they brought her back out and said, "No, uh, you know, during the break after they tape what you see, you know, that's all edited. You're sure. seeing their full performance, mm-hmm. but 
then they'll have him, they'll come back after they do it. Then they'll say, come on back. We just want to reshoot this part for, get a better angle on it. They're not helping or cheating in any way, but they just want it to be the best presentation of it. And well, she had thought, okay, then fool me. And they, after they discussed more with the producers, the producers talk with Penn and Teller too. And they say, you know, Teller realized at one point, he said, I don't think we, she, uh, that we got it. I think maybe we made a mistake and didn't explain what we thought. And, and so they said, uh, they brought her back out. They didn't say, Hey, you did fool him. They right. just said, come on back out. We want to reshoot the part where, t- oh, because okay. Penn wants to come up with a better way of saying how you didn't fool him. So they, they fooled her so she oh, could be more wow. surprised. And that's, oh, that's what you great. saw at the end. No one knew that, that that happened nope. and, 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 and you know, so they're very honest that way, and and uh, they're very careful about how they do things. But with hers, they thought maybe she used a stripper deck at one point, mm-hmm. and so they said, you know, Penn said, you know, the cool thing is, is uh, what you've done there uh, could be done in many professions. I, I mean, a fireman, a stripper could do that. Uh, you know, so that's how they give their code. They'll, they'll sneak in words that magicians know. You yeah. know, and 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 I think that's what caused the confusion. She didn't catch that she thought she caught something else that they didn't mean to say sure and that she thought because they brought in the way she did it may have related to a fireman or something instead of the stripper you know what i mean so it was kind of a weird thing that's that's crazy so i think that you had mentioned earlier that you um you had done some coaching for some other magicians or like you're, yeah, you're helping people? Yeah, I'll do that sometimes. So, they'll, they'll contract me to help write material or or kind of coach them. And, and oh, okay. uh, normally, though, I don't charge. I'm happy to, yeah. you know, if, if it doesn't eat up much time or if mm-hmm. I'll do that. Is that for Penn and Teller or is that out here? Um, no, well, the not coaching, the building for Penn and Teller. Yeah, yeah. And there are two things I do. Either it's my idea, the trick is my idea, the whole uh, routine is my idea, and then I sell it to them okay. uh or uh in uh, cases of like the pros uh the full-time pros and Penn and teller and copperfield guys like that they normally have an idea of what they want to do and a most of the time a basic idea of how they think it could be done yeah but they don't know how to build it or do it or right. uh, or they they don't know the engineering behind it or whatever so they'll just call me and say you know like Penn and teller will call and they'll say hey we can you make it uh, we want to make a disembodied gorilla head that talks, that psychically transmits a number to a fax machine that will spit out a big long roll. Really, can you do that? And I'd say, yeah, I can do that. You know, and so, uh, and sometimes they know even how they want the gimmick to work, and, right? And they'll tell me, and if I have a better idea, I tell them. If not, I just build it the way they want it. You know, and, and then sometimes they have no idea. I have some guy. I, I've had over the years a couple of people call and say, I want to levitate a girl. But there can't be any trap doors. There would be no curtains around. And I don't have a ceiling. That I can, there can't be any. And they, and they eliminate. You can't. I, I can't do this. Or the, you can't. Uh, like, listen, they eliminate everything. actually trying to levitate yeah, this yeah. That's I do. I, and I say. And they say, can you do that? And I take it as a compliment that they think that maybe I can come up with some way to do really? it. And I say, well, I, I, if I ever learn the magic word, you'll be the first person I call. <laughs> You know, and I've always said that. I've always said, boy, if there was really was a magic word and I discovered it. Yeah. Most magicians would say, I'm going to make the whole audience levitate tonight, you know, and and be the most famous. But not me. I would what I would do is I would just do I would duplicate known magic tricks the for, at least for the first year. Right. And I would go to magic conventions and do standard magic tricks 
but not using those gimmicks right. or those methods. But the the final effect, and just so everyone be going, oh my God, that's the best return. How does he do that? He turned around when he. How did he? But you yeah. know, I would just like mess with magicians yeah. first. You yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> can mess with the community. Then I'd say, okay, I know the magic word. Everyone float, you know, and everyone would float, but. But, um, yeah, that's not going to happen. I don't no, think. Right, yeah. No. So, no, it was just hard work. But soon, <laughs> some people do. They come up with stuff that, that's like impossible. And then they don't, I'll say, you just can't. It's impossible, yeah. physically impossible. Well, yeah, I think you, and I said, well, if you come up with how to do it, I'll be happy to build it. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you know? tell me how to, yeah. yeah I so can make it happen. You do get some wacky ones. Have you ever done a, any like collaboration efforts, uh, like bringing in another magician? to do work with you or is it um not uh, under hire but a lot of times just you know friends calling friends we we will we'll bounce things off each other all the time so yeah all the time I, I like to get other ideas on the routine to see what uh, they come up with and, and quite often if i come up with what i think is a totally new effect right. or idea chance are someone's done it i mean a lot of magic you're still seeing on stage in vegas they were doing 500 years ago in india you know and and uh, all over the world china so it's hard to come up with totally new stuff but uh, if it's something i think is new i normally call teller because he's oh, he's yeah. just uh, he's the wikipedia of magic he knows sure. everything's in his head is is his living room is a library for one uh, books on everything's yeah. magic and he's just so uh, and a couple other guys I'll call that and I'll say, I just want to make sure I'm not stepping on any toes. You know, I just don't want to think it's new to me. And all of a sudden people are coming, what are you doing? I did that trick, you know, and yeah, without permission. Yeah. And if it is close to something, I'll call that person and say, Hey, I've got an idea. I think it's different enough. And they, and every time I've done it, they've been, but most guys are very gracious. Very few guys that are magicians are uh, a, a very tight, community and, yeah. and more of a brotherhood than you know i know probably a thousand comedians that i've worked with over the years and probably a thousand magicians uh, over 30 years that i've worked with and all the comedians are nice but mm -hmm. not like magicians i don't know what it because i think we're geekier yeah. there are a lot of geeky weirdo like, magicians absolutely and, well, and it's very it's very niche you know yeah. so it's it's a very specific kind of profession comedians can go to a party right you know and and crack some jokes and get along with people right but and, and i mean i guess you could do that as a magician as well Ooh, the boss is here hey how's it going <laughs> no you're fine it's actually great it's great to see you because you're you're the other half of the magic I that know. takes the run to this place yep. behind the scenes. yeah yes. <laughs> yep that was one of the things actually this is great you're a perfect segue your entrance was <laughs> there you go I just so you're the first person the first business owner that i've talked to that is making this effort with your wife directly involved right like, so people like they're married but they're often touring and doing their own thing mm -hmm. but so and she's very involved she doesn't think that oh she i can is. tell from the time from but the night but that she I was is here. you know she uh if if you she thinks that she doesn't play that big of a part but she's the first thing they see when they walk in the door and for one, she's beautiful. Yeah, and so you can't see this is audio. She's, got it. So she, she's gorgeous. And she has a great smile, and she truly is one of the nicest people in the world. Everyone loves her. And they walk in. If you read our reviews on TripAdvisor, she's how a star. No, uh, 
they they do. I would say eighty percent of them mention Kelly. I mean, obviously they review the show, mm-hmm. and then they'll say, "And Kelly is such a doll, and she makes you feel like you're you're welcome into their living room." And and they're, they're and they just rave about Kelly too. You, you never get that about other hostesses. No, and that's that's a crucial part. And she's too. not a hostess; she's yeah. a partner. You know, she's a partner, but she's acting playing that part at that time, and then she kind of manages things and yeah. helps out behind the scenes a little bit. And I'm I almost have her ready to do a trick on stage without oh, me so so, that's so, amazing. so yeah no, i mean as as a coming from the customer's perspective as i am there there is a difference when you come into any sort of entertainment uh venue and you you go in and you get entertained and you have a good time You're like oh that was really good and then you leave like okay that's that but there's a there's a different energy when you come in here and it's it is warm it's welcoming and and a lot of it comes from you, and I I truly appreciate oh, that. Thank well, you thank you. Very much. Thank and and we that's how we look at it, though, you know. And I've always treated my show that way too. Yeah. Uh, I've always I, I've never had the attitude. This is my show. I'm great. Watch me. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, I never have I, because I've always had that. I don't really care attitude because when I first started in the flats, it was this isn't what I do for a living. If if it doesn't go well, it doesn't go well. I'm I'm just yeah. going to have fun. Yeah. I'm going to have fun, and I I look that. at it as uh, you know. Uh, I, I always have looked at it backstage. I, I used to do two things. Uh, if I had a rotten day or everything was going wrong or I was just beat or uh, before I'd go on stage and even big stages in Vegas, I, the, I would always, the last thing I try and think about before I go on just to make sure I'm in the right frame of mind was, is, uh, I'm going to go out and make a, a hundred new friends every or or, a, or 500 new friends uh, i look at it as making friends and i try and connect with as many people as i can and then we both say good night not because we think it's good for the business because we truly appreciate people coming in and paying money to watch me act like an idiot <laughs> for two hours you know and i we do we truly appreciate it and and people and they appreciate that they they know we appreciate it we get a lot of repeat uh, business that was going to be a question. Uh, 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 I was like, yeah. like, based on my experience, I have no doubt that people people's willingness to return has got to be high. Every every night, there's uh, especially in this third year, there's not a night that uh, I'd say at least at least three or four groups, but sometimes up to half the audience has uh, has seen me at least uh, once uh, once or twice before, and that's why I changed my act up a lot. Yeah. And, and, uh, and many nights it's like half the audience and people say, this is our fifth time here. We'll see you in two months when we're back. And, you know, and, and that's why we're trying to bring in some more guest performers too, t- uh, for variety. And, uh, so about once every fifth week, we'll bring in a guest act for locals or someone that wants to see something different. And, and, uh, and that gives me a week off too. So, but, uh, sometimes, sometimes it's hard to find someone that can do an hour and a half, two hour show alone. So, yeah. so I, I split the time with them, but it's still fun, you know. Yeah. How, what's your fun. what's the vetting process for that? If you're bringing in somebody else to perform in your cabaret, well, what I always try to do, and I've always said this, is if I'm not going to be here, I want someone here that I think is better than me, funnier or better, yeah. or or because I I'd rather. I, I don't want to go. I don't want people saying, "Oh, geez, yeah, we missed you." That act. Like, sure. I, I don't want to, that. Maybe strokes your ego, but yeah. I'm, I want. I, I'd rather hear, "Boy, we didn't even miss you," because yeah, it's a business, so, and I want. I want sure. them to like everyone that was here. You know, so well, I, it's I, amazing how that value uh, is translated. Because 
I think that's that's a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation of a lot of business owners is that they're they're just out to get money. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I mean obviously this is your profession and you're trying to be successful, but the way that you do that is by providing value, real value mm-hmm. to people that come in. And so shortchanging them to keep your name recognition higher, right? You know, is it's that's not even going to be beneficial for you, right? You know, and and obviously uh, we don't make as much money when I bring someone in because we yeah. have to pay them and put them up in a yeah. hotel. Fair so right. we're doing that for the customers, and and sometimes it's when I, I'm, uh, you know, I'll still take some outside work if I have a, a corporate event that oh, pays okay. real well, or I I always go and work the Magic Castle at least once a year out in Hollywood because oh, that's, that's always right. fun to do. Sure. And so I get people in to replace me. Uh, some, normally two guys then and to then do the show. You're providing that sense of consistency for for your home station, right. Essentially, you know, like oh, okay, it's still open, you can right. Still come in. So being sensitive to your time, I know you have a show coming. And up. most of the acts, I, I I was going to say that are, are performers I I know well. Oh, and then so I I've known them, I've worked with them, and and casinos are somewhere else, and yeah. and I I know that they're going to be clean. I know that they're. Uh, gonna the audience is gonna love it, and I know they're mm-hmm. unique. And uh, it's very. I, I just hired someone for the first time that I had never seen when right. we were in Mexico a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Karen Mills, and uh, 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 just saw video. I had okay, a so couple guys that we bring in the headline yeah. when I'm not here that I have a lot of respect for, and they and they both told me they said she's very clean, she's very funny. In fact, I opened for her. Oh, and wow. you should use her. So I just, I, uh, and they loved her audience. Loved her. And then Jerry Farber too. We had him for a couple of nights and I went off his video too and off recommendations. But normally I want to, if I'm not going to be here, I want to see him. Oh, you know? yeah. You uh, I, I, I would rather take a chance on somebody if I'm going to be here splitting the time with them. So if, if they do get out off base or something, yeah. I can. You're here. Whack them in the head or whatever, you know. You can save it. You can come and save it. Yeah. So to wrap it up and being sensitive to your time, I know you have a show coming okay. up tonight. Yep. Um, how do you define success? Happiness. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and that's for some I've been asked that question. <laughs> yeah. But I've always said that too. I've always said, you know, uh, if I can pay my bills and 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 have a little money left over to do some fun things I like to do – and I'm healthy, bang. That's that's all I need. I, I mean, you, you could build up a billion dollars and and uh, and have twenty homes, but when you die, it's all somebody else's anyway. You don't take that with you. You take happiness uh, with you. Absolutely. So I love it. I couldn't agree more. Carrie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I, really appreciate, I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. So there was, ladies and gentlemen, Gary Pollock. What an amazing opportunity to be able to sit down with him and have this conversation. The things that he went through and his mentality through it all, it just speaks volumes to exactly what we're trying to do here. And when I say we, I mean me and you guys here on Burn Your Boats. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. I had a blast having this conversation with Carrie. And so I hope that you enjoyed it at least half as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with him myself. If you did, please come in for the next episode. It'll be coming out next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. You can check me out at burnyourboatsshow.com. We have a Facebook fan page, 
Burn Your Boats. Check us out there, too. And if you did like the show, please share it. I'm sure there's somebody out there that's looking for that little bit of inspiration. Somebody that you know, if it's not yourself, who's capable of doing something amazing, something outside of your standard show up at nine, leave at five, rely on somebody else to assume all the risk, somebody that wants to pursue their passion. That's the goal here. That's why I'm doing this. I want you guys to to listen to these stories, to listen to these people. It's yeah, it's fun and trust me, I like I said, I had a great time. But that's not it. I want you to draw inspiration from these people. That's what I'm doing. I'm not going to lie to you. That's that's I'm drawing inspiration for myself. That's how I continue to get up and do this show is I get to talk to these people. I'm like, oh my God, look what they've done. And I'm just here talking to them. So my job's pretty easy. So yeah, uh, please, please get the word out there. Let people know. I think there's a lot of value here. So if you did enjoy it and, and you like what we got going on here, then please come back next week and we'll have another one lined up for you.